from legendary locals we all know to people you should get to know. Follow Ipswich Today on your favourite app and never miss an episode or go to ipswichtoday.com.au. Coming up, you've heard of a tree change or even a sea change. But what about a sea change actually living on the sea? Nine years ago, long-term Ipswich residents Rob and Karen Oberg headed for the high seas to take on an 18,000 nautical mile journey to the Mediterranean and UK. Their story is one of an amazing adventure, including a hair-raising near-miss that brought them within inches of disaster. It's Monday, November 30, 2020, and I'm Alan Roebuck. Welcome to Ipswich Today, which acknowledges the traditional custodians of the land on which it is produced and pays respects to elders past, present and emerging. This podcast is supported by Kinetics, people-powered web hosting trusted by Australian businesses since 1999. Rob and Karen Oberg moved to Ipswich in the 1990s. In 2011, with retirement beckoning, they made a major decision to sell up and learn the ropes of crewing and sailing which ultimately led to their own catch, Our Dream Time, which is now their full-time mobile home on the ocean. They also have their own Dreamtime Sale YouTube channel and theme song. Robin Karen, thanks for joining Ipswich today from the cockpit of Our Dream Time. Yeah. We're Thank you re- for having us. Really happy to be with you, Alan. Where do we find you today? Well, unusually, we're actually anchored in the middle of a city. We're, we're anchored in what they call the town reach of the Burnett River, right in the CBD of Bundaberg. So you've got everything handy if you have a shopping urge. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> Everything's in walking distance, which is very nice. <laughs> Let's talk about your story basically in three parts. Your life in Ipswich, crewing your way to the Mediterranean, and now life on board your own vessel. Firstly, how did you guys come to this major change in life later in life? Uh, Yeah, that's a very interesting question, Alan, in that we were like happily ensconced in our lovely big family home in Ipswich um, with our jobs and careers and Karen, uh, a working artist. And then uh, something happened that really made us both reevaluate what we we're doing with uh, our, our years on the planet. Um, yes, my best friend passed away before she turned 50. She um, died of lung cancer. Someone, Jill, she never smoked, never drunk in, li- in life. She actually gave life to everybody. Um, she was a nurse who gave people all her care that she could. And she never reached 50 and we'd always had this plan that we were going to travel together as couples. We had one holiday together overseas and that was it. And I said to Rob, um, you know, we weren't put on this life, in, on, you know, on this, in this world for a life of just going to work. It's time that we reevaluate, get ourselves in a position that we can spend time together and enjoy life. That's a really emotional reason to you know rethink your whole life uh, what options were you talking about was was sailing just one of them yes yeah, sailing was one of them we we actually considered the idea of a, a camper van and a 
and a couple of motorcycles on a trailer behind it um, and not going around Australia the way most of the grey nomads <laughs> do. We, we were thinking of uh, basing it in Europe um, and, uh, and spending our time over there. And then I read a book by Pamela Anderson where she had a bit of a, a change of life, bought a large yacht and sailed around the world with her family with a professional skipper and crew, I might add. <laughs> She's done it a little different to yes. us. She didn't have to the do the hard work, yeah. <laughs> the places she visited across the Pacific and everything else, that kind of inspired me. And um, and then uh, that started me thinking about whether we could do that. Now, I'd sailed a little bit pre-marriage, pre-kids, pre-mortgage, um, but not a lot. And, and Karen was raised on a boat, so we both had, you know, interest in, in the water. Um, and while we were thinking about it, a young 15-year-old decided to head off from the Sunshine Coast and sail around the world on her own, non-stop solo. And I have to say, Alan, that as a guy in his 50s at the time, I thought if a 15-year-old can do that, surely we can make it to Malula Bar and back. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you took a you took a very novel approach to uh, refreshing your skills and learning new ones. You decided to crew your way to the northern hemisphere. Uh, just explain what that is. Crewing to the northern hemisphere. Well, that came about because we actually were wanting to sell property that we had in Ipswich, buy our own boat, and just head on off. Well, our 2011 floods were probably a good thing and, of course, a bad thing. The bad thing was we couldn't sell the properties that we had because of a flood. The good thing was that we didn't go out, spend that money on a boat that we thought was all very pretty but was quite useless in the um, ocean um, and then probably not make it to Mooloolaba. When we had the floods, we were stuck. We were very cash poor and we couldn't buy a boat. So we said, how else can we do this? Yeah, it was, I'd already resigned my final job um, and we were getting ready to head to Europe and buy a boat in the Mediterranean. And those floods sort of wiped that idea out. Mm, as it did for a lot of people. <laughs> yes, exactly, it, it we did. weren't the only ones. I mean, what we've done is we sold our big family home and we had three renovating renovated properties with the idea that we were to sell one to buy our boat, we'd have two rented out and, and um, have the money to live on. So without that, we had to reevaluate again. We had a, a board meeting. <laughs> we of, have lots of board meetings. <laughs> of our, discussed all our options and we came up with a plan that said, oh, stuff it, let's just go anyway. And we uh, then discovered crew sites on the internet. And it's like sailing dating sites in that the boat owners put up who they are and what they're looking for. Mm -hmm. And a potential crew put up uh, who they are and what they would like to do. And you can go through these, um, or Crew Finder and, um, is a good one and uh, there's a number of them. And we were able to find a match with a, uh, a boat that was at the time sitting in Bundaberg um, getting ready to sail through to Malaysia. Before I get to my next question, Rob and Karen, can we have a weather report from the Burnett River, please? Well, it's um, it's a thin overcast, 
And it's actually, unfortunately, a bit smoky because there's massive fires on Fraser Island at the moment and that smoke is reaching over here. Uh, we're trying to avoid it because Karen is asthmatic, so we're, uh, we stay away from it as much as we can. But the, wind, uh, the wind's piping up every now and then and just bringing whiffs of that in from, uh, from Harvey Bay, unfortunately. Yeah, okay. We, d- we did hear a bit of wind uh, just in the last uh, couple of minutes. Back to the journey to the Mediterranean. Talk us through the highlights of how you got there, how long it took to get there. Oh, highlights. Too many? <laughs> too many. Absolutely too many. I think the first thing was, um, you know, the sense of freedom once you're on a boat. Um, you know, you talk about just taking, you know, where the wind takes you and it really is that. You are, you know, your whole journey is decided on where the wind is blowing and it, it's an awesome feeling. It really is. There's no other constraints. Yeah, you'll have where you're leaving from and where you plan to end up, but all the stops in between, they can change because it, it depends which direction the wind's blowing, what the sea is doing with its swell, as to where you go for all your stops. So, uh, but highlights. Mm. Well, well, highlights. <laughs> I think has to be we we joined a a 57 foot um, uh, Beneteau and we got a lot of experience on that boat. Um, We'd have to say that the couple weren't the best sailors in the world, um, but we still learnt every day. But they, uh, the boat took part in what it's called the Indonesian Rally. So there were a hundred odd yachts uh, and catamarans heading through uh, Indonesia, departing from Darwin. And one of the biggest highlights for me was the people we met. We met cruisers from all over the world, from, from Europe, from the US, Australians, English, um, yeah, South Africans. We found there's a real community, isn't there, within the sailors that, you know, they hold together as well. It, someone's got a little problem, it's everybody's problem, you know, everybody sort of helps out. And we really liked that, you know, we are community-based people. We spend a lot of time in Ipswich within our community, helping, you know, others, but also, you know, being part of. So to find that community, I actually thought when we were going off sailing, Alan, that it was going to be Rob and I together and we'll have a lot of time just together, which wasn't bad, but I didn't realise that it was so social and this huge community was out there. Were you always in touch with other boats, even you know, when you're a long way off the coast? Um, yeah, we, they ran a, um, a radio sked so that uh, every morning um, there was uh, one American um, who organised it and he would come on the radio and anyone with problems would, um, would report in or even better, the boats that were ahead of you could report on conditions they found ahead. Um, so it was a real cooperative thing. Uh, what surprised us, this was 2011, and through Indonesia, which is often thought of as a third, third world country, uh, we were probably in phone service nearly as much as we're out of phone service. How many different vessels did, you, did it take for you to get to the Mediterranean? <laughs> well, we, we sailed on, on, a, uh, on the boat that we left um, Australia until Bali. Um, there, it was 
as I said, they weren't the best sailors and it wasn't the happiest of environment at times, but we were determined to stick things out and, um, and complete the, the journey. Um, but when we were in Bali, we had the opportunity um, to join another boat because there was a, a Scottish couple that were sailing together and uh, the wife's uh, mother got seriously ill back in the UK and she had to leave, which meant that Will was then on his own on the boat and the boat we were on, there was five people on it. They kind of agreed that we could jump across onto the other boat and then there'd be three on each and it'd be easier to sail. And um, that boat, uh, Atlantia, we sailed from Bali through to Malaysia with Will. Um, had a wonderful experience. We got up into Kalimantan and up the uh, up into the rainforest to the um, orangutan um, research centre and saw the orangutans in the wild. And I have to say that it has to be um, certainly my highlight. I think of Asia was actually seeing the orangutans in the wild. They are amazing creature. Yeah. Yeah. You too, Rob. Do you think that yeah. that's yeah? And it was interesting then to get on a boat with a different skipper who had a different mindset um, and we learned a whole new set of uh, skills and practices, etc. And what we were learning was that you compare other people's practices and decide what works best for you. So by the time you got to the Mediterranean, how, how would you rate your uh, sailing skills and crewing skills? Uh, we've now done... Um, nearly 20,000 nautical miles and funnily enough we quite often still feel like newbies absolutely Uh, every day is new out there you learn every day Um, we sailed through to Malaysia and then we actually backpacked and land traveled through to Thailand where we uh, got the opportunity to crew on a a beautiful uh, oyster 56 yacht called um, Curious in what they call the King's Cup Regatta in Phuket and uh, we sailed with Steve Brown on that boat, um, and he was an excellent skipper. We learned a lot. So by the time we got to Europe and joined an Australian boat uh, near Venice in Italy, um, I would say that we, had, we, we were competent as crew. Yeah. During those first few weeks crewing, did you ever have any afterthought that it was the right or wrong decision to do it. I think the excitement over <laughs> all of those jitters, I, you know. I, I think we had two thoughts. One was, yes, this is what we want to do because one of the decisions about going crewing was it allowed us to find out whether we were in love with sailing or in love with the ideal of saying. Yeah, of yep. sailing. Um, so we found that, yes, this is what we want to do, but when, by the time we got to Darwin, we worked out that we weren't really on the right boat. Um, <laughs> um, and no, we it, um, yeah, but as I say, we were fairly well committed um, and we decided we were going to, going to complete the uh, passage through and we we're really pleased that we did. And what were your highlights while you are in the Northern Hemisphere? Oh, wow. Um, Well, places that I didn't ever expect that we would sail to. You know, nowhere on the list had I ticked that box, you know, or made a box to say, I want to sail to Tunisia. You know, like, and of course, the wind took us to Tunisia and I went, 
here we are. Wow. You know, like this is an amazing country. The people are beautiful. I really didn't expect that. Did you? I I would have to say, Al, that just the Mediterranean in general. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because you had some time in Greece, didn't you? You spent a bit of time based there. Yeah. Yeah, we yep. start with the boat we first crewed on over there. It was a, a beautiful 72 foot um, super yacht, virtually, owned by a, a Sydney businessman. And, you know, our first trip on that was from a place called Monfalcone, which is near Venice. And we sailed it around the shore of Italy, um, uh, past Sicily, and into Gr- Grand Harbour at Malta. Mm. And arriving in right. there through, through the centuries-old breakwater with the massive um, forts and fortresses right around and knowing the history of Malta in the Second World War, it was very surreal for us to just sail into that into that harbour that the Crusaders had defended. Yes. It, and it was. I mean, we'd had a pretty rough trip from Malfunconi down. It was... It was not the nicest. Rob had spent nearly four days seasick. We had ice on the decks. It was minus 27 wind chill. And I did actually ask myself a number of times throughout those night watches, what am I doing this for? Like, we're supposed to be having fun (laughs) and I'm freezing cold. I'm standing here watching for ice on the, the, you know, on the sails, hoping that they don't weigh the boat too much in this horrific weather. (laughs) And And then we turn the corner of the boot of Italy and do the, you know, sail down to Malta and the, the wind eased, the blue skies came out and we headed into the most amazing harbour I think anybody could sail into. At what point did you return to Australia? Well, we, we actually spent quite a bit of time over there because mm-hmm. we um, sailed that, uh, that 72-foot boat uh, for about three months. Um, we left it in um, Spain. And Cartagena we, in Spain? In Cartagena in Spain. And we were supposed to then join a, an American couple on a classic boat in Gibraltar. We were arranged to go and crew with them for the classic regattas for that season in the Mediterranean. Um, and a very interesting boat we should add here, that her name is Astor, and she was actually built for a doctor in Sydney. And she won the um, Sydney to Hobart three times. And so for us as Australians, it was, you know, a bit of our history to go and to yeah. now sail on a very classic yeah, without not, modern. <laughs> she was a 1927 timber boat. Unfortunately, literally three weeks before we were supposed to, um, to join them, we got a message that that had a serious engine problem and they were going to skip the season and replace their engine. So we were at a loose end and uh, we had met a, um, uh, an English chap that we'd sailed with on the 72-footer. Uh, he lived in the Lake District of the UK and he said, I'll oh, come over and stay with me for a while. So we just skipped one of those 50, 50-euro 50 flights. Right, yes, <laughs> one of the, yes, when we could all travel. <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> so we spent some time in the in the UK with him and doing a bit of travel up to um, uh, up to Edinburgh, etc. And uh, we got a phone call from Steve, who we'd crewed for in Thailand, and he turned around. And he said, "I hear you're doing nothing. My boat's now in Gibraltar, and I've got to get it back to the UK." 
he basically said, I hear you're sitting on your butts doing nothing. Right. <laughs> Saying so, that we were being very lazy. <laughs> so we were very spoilt and he flew us back to Gibraltar and then we sailed his boat um, up the Spanish coast, Portuguese coast, across the Bay of Biscay and uh, arrived um, in on the UK coast in glorious, glorious clear blue skies and sunshine um, into Dartmouth. Mm-hmm. And Which then, has a huge naval history. It's a beautiful place. And then a week later, we were we'd sailed from there around the coast up the Thames, and found ourselves at St Cat's Dock, uh, next to Tower Bridge, where we experienced the uh, Queen's Jubilee. Well, you couldn't have been more central. Wow! <laughs> <laughs> and she stepped off right where we were, which was amazing. Oh, the pomp and ceremony that the Brits put on for that was absolutely amazing. So from when you set off from Australia, you certainly have got more than you bargained for. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and Al, to, to just put a, um, I guess, a closing paragraph on the on the Mediterranean, what we did was the, another British chap that we'd crewed with on the first boat from Australia through Southeast Asia, the one that wasn't as friend, as uh, as nice a boat as we would have liked. <laughs> as friendly, you can say. <laughs> um, Mark had been crewing as well, and we were both, we were all sat around the breakfast table in the centre of London having a coffee, said, what the hell are we going to do? And we came up with a plan, and uh, we went, we partnered to buy a boat in the Mediterranean. So we ended up buying a boat in Mallorca, and uh, Karen, Mark and I sailed that boat for two years in the Med and we covered sort of everything from Gibraltar through to Italy um, and just had a wonderful time. So then you came back to Australia, I take it? We did. Yeah, yeah Mark decided he'd, he'd been sailing for, I think, four years by then and he was ready for a break. Um, he went sailing after his wife passed away and I think, it took him that long to grieve and then decide he was ready to go back to the city and get on with life. Um, and we, by then, elected that it was probably time to sell that boat, come back to Australia and look for what was going to be our boat. Our boat. So yeah. you, you had that in mind for quite some time, to have your own vessel? Yeah. Right. Yes. Yeah. And um, the partnership boat was great uh, and we, we um, really, really enjoyed that. And we had a sensible exit plan on what would happen if if we wanted to sell it jointly or if one wanted to buy the other out. And it um, partnerships sometimes don't work. That one did, and it worked extremely well, and we're, we're still great friends today. But it's nice to have our own boat and make totally our own decisions. So for those nautically-minded listeners, what is your own boat? Apart from, All I know is the name, Our Dreamtime. <laughs> Okay, Al, what we wanted was a, um, a strong classic boat that was designed to handle heavy weather and go across oceans. So our dream time, which you know the name, is a Whitby 42 Cutter Catch. So she was built in Ontario, Canada in 1982 and she has done many, many more miles than us, of course, and we are the third owners of her. She's um, a heavy displacement with full keel 
and she has great for those nautically minded people who always think of what ocean boats are or blue water boats as we call them she has great tankage so she has you know 860 litres of water and 800 litres of diesel uh, she is very well placed she's a centre cockpit boat so she's very very safe when you're out there in the oceans and when we walked on board, we actually weren't in the market for a catch or a blue hulled boat because she's navy blue. We were, walked on board and immediately saw that she was the boat that we actually should have out there in the ocean. And so she is ours. Now, living in such confined quarters must have taught you a lot about each other then. What have you learned, what have you learned that you didn't know about each other from being on board? Um, don't let the little things yeah. get under your skin. You don't let anything brew. No. Um, if if you do have a little snap at each other, you turn around and go, "That's done. Let's, you know, let's, you know, we're having trouble getting an anchor set or something, and it and it can get very frustrating. Um, and you turn around and go, "Okay, this is this is attempt five. Um, we're." All going to calm down as in the both of us and we just <laughs> make this happen and guess what it does yeah but we i guess we were lucky in that we work very closely together with our businesses quite often and we you know at one stage when we were contracting for willow bank raceway for what five six years mm. we we worked together so we were together 24 7 already right uh, but in the we went from our lovely big house in in Burnett Street at Sadler's Crossing, which you you know well, um, I think our back deck was about as big as our current live, total living area. As right. I'm talking the entire boat, <laughs> and definitely my kitchen was well half the size of the boat that we <laughs> that we're currently living in. So a bit different to my 1.5 square meter um, galley at the yeah. moment. <laughs> People think that. Tiny house movement is something new. It's no, not. <laughs> no, there are boats. Yeah. It's boats. Yes. Now, you, you were moored at uh, Manly there for quite some time, and in April this year you decided to head off in the middle of COVID, get away from everything. Is there such a thing as a, a typical day on board? Well, I might just backtrack to that one in that it was um, – the plan was We'd been off sailing. We bought the boat. We spent a lot more money refitting it than we expected. We had a great time sailing it around the Great Barrier Reef for a few years. Um, funnily enough, you know, the bank balance started to look a little bit sad. Yes. The bank, ba- the bank manager actually asked if we could start banking with the bank instead of the bank, you know, banking, banking with, with us. us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, we really had. <laughs> so we, um, uh, I, I had the opportunity and an offer to um, actually go back and do some more work with Willow Bank Raceway, right. um, a, a great not-for-profit Ipswich um, uh, business. And um, I turned around and I said, you know, we discussed it and I said, look, if we did this for two or three years, we'll be set up again and we can just go off and, and that will be true retirement this time. So with the discussion, I, I committed to Willow Bank that I'd give them a minimum of two years, maximum of three. Karen was able to find a, uh, employment in the marina at Manly. So her commute was all of 120 metres. A few steps, yes. And um, I was late most days. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, uh, so we were actually all set 
to leave in August of this year um, and head overseas on a five-year plan, and then COVID came. So there was a couple of things about COVID. My employment disappeared immediately because uh, my job was to do sponsorship, communications, and television for Willow Bank Raceway. And with COVID, there was no no activity. events. God, but, yeah. So that all came to a halt. Karen had just undergone a shoulder recon, uh, reconstruction in March, and Karen's a severe asthmatic. And her doctors turned around and literally said, if you get COVID, your chances of survival are not good. Um, you have a boat. We recommend you get on it and isolate a float. Get out and just stay away from the world. So where we thought we had four, another four, I thought I had another four months to get the boat ready. In three weeks, we had it uh, ready to go, provisioned with enough food to stay out with for months. And we threw off the lines and away we went. And it was all about isolation afloat. And you've been sailing around uh, the Great Barrier Reef and you've, you've now started a YouTube vlog. And this is where I bring in one very close call at Lady Musgrave Island. Well killed, that's good, that's good. Keep going, Port. Keep going, Port. I am going, Port. Going Keep port. going, Port. Holding, Port. Keep going, Port. I am holding, Port. We are clear. Keep going, Port. First hand, the look in your face, Rob, and in your face, Karen, it, it was a, the heart must have been racing. The heart still races. We've watched that. We've watched that footage so many times. I mean, with editing, you just continually have to watch it, obviously. And it, it's still, it's still a very nerve-wracking thing to watch. We nearly lost our dream on that, on that reef. It was very, very scary. Alan, we're sailing. You have a lot of oopses, and um, you know. There's two types of sailors, those that have run aground and those that tell lies. Uh, <laughs> we've, we've all bumped the bottom somewhere. Yes. Uh, going into Lady Musgrove Island, well, it's it's an island lagoon and it's massive. It covers hectares and hectares. 3,000 hectares. Yeah, 3,000 hectares of, of lagoon. Mm. And you enter through a rather narrow channel. We'd been through there before. And what you do is you time it for the, uh, the slack tide high tide or low tide so there's no current going through that channel and it's it's easy to get through and and previous times we'd gone through at high tide on the slack and it's all very calm this time we're leaving Bundaberg it's x hours to get out there and we timed our departure to arrive near 330 which is when the low tide was listed what I hadn't calculated for was that as the tide drops it's a very low tide, we should say. Yeah, it was like a very, very low, low tide, tide that day. Yes. As the tide drops, the coral emerges out of the water. So early after high tide, the water's just flowing over the reef and away. But as the tide drops, more and more of it has to flow out the channel. So in the end, the entire coral is exposed right around a huge circle with just the one channel. While it's already low tide outside the lagoon, the level inside is probably still half a metre higher or, you know, a third of a metre, 300 mil higher than outside. So the water was still rushing out when on the, the tide book said it should be low tide. 
But when we entered that um, channel... It was like trying to go upstream on a flooded river. Yes. Oh, yes. yes. Mm. With a very narrow mm. entrance. And mm. what we did, we had a, a uh, GPS computer track where we'd been through before. And the old theory is if you follow the exact route that you followed last time and if you didn't hit anything, you shouldn't hit anything this time. But that route wasn't in the centre of the channel and uh, Karen was on the helm, I was on the bow being lookout and a back current, because we were over to one side of the, the channel, a back current literally grabbed the bow of the boat and turned us 90 degrees so we were headed straight for the reef. And to get it to respond and fight against that and come back was full revs, steering hard over um, and, and hope for the best. And literally, I think it was in the end. It was hope for the best. There was nothing more I could do on the um, on the helm. Yeah, I had all revs going. I had the helm right over, and I was actually fighting the wheel to keep it over because of the the actual strength of the water on the rudder. And as you've seen on the video, and anyone that has a look at the YouTube channel um, Dreamtime Sail, uh, that episode is called "Inches from Disaster on the Reef," and it was a matter of of a very, very close call. Well, you live to tell a tale another day, and here you both are relaxing in the cockpit on the, the Burnett River. Now, an interesting sidelight to all this sailing is that you must eat. A really quick but fun thing to do is my pizza roses. And they're simply just puff pastry, ready-made puff pastry, cut into strips, some tomato sauce on, some herbs, dried herbs, and then with your salami, you cut it in half. So, pop them on, overlapping, the tops out, fold up the base, just cover cut edges, and roll from one end, pulling out the petals. Now, Karen, you, you've developed your own cooking videos as well. Was that an idea before you set off or you did, just sort of happened? Definitely, definitely not an idea at all. And um, Rob can contest to this. Um, when we first met, I certainly couldn't cook anything. The only thing I could make was reservations. So <laughs> I've come a long way in my cooking life and I've had no, you know, experience in kitchens or anything else professionally but I decided that this was something on board that's very important um, you know sometimes it's the only thing you look forward to on a boat when you're doing long passages is a good meal and I, I am a creative person I mean I paint on board I do lots of other things but cooking has really become a very creative outlet for me so I just, we, um, well, on our Facebook page and Instagram page, we were putting up our, my cooking photos and we had a few complaints from the salty sailors out there. Is this a sailing page or a cooking page? <laughs> 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 so we, um, we split them. So we now have our dream time and we have our galley and we have blogs for both. We have our sailing blog, which is our dream time, and we have um, our galley. Ali blog which talks about all the food that I make on board 
you know, what sort of provisioning we have to do. You know, I make cheese on board. Everything's made from scratch really on board because it's we can't carry packaged goods like everybody's used to, you know, in their households. We have very limited space. So we can carry, you know, kilos of flour which can make pasta, bread, you know, pancakes, cakes, anything you want, but I can't carry, you know, cake mixes, pancake mixes. It just doesn't work on a boat. So your YouTube channels, both of them, will certainly be offering some helpful tips to uh, to budding sailors and, and even the experienced people out there. Yeah, well, we've tried to make it so it's entertaining for, for uh, anybody, and obviously sailors have uh, more interest in it, but uh, you'll find it on YouTube at Dreamtime Sail, our Facebook's Dreamtime Sail, our Instagram's Dreamtime Sail. Um, but, yeah, it's... It's really designed to be about sailing and about the destinations we go. That's right. I'd actually say it's probably more of a travel. <laughs> I mean, we love to sail, but it's not all about what we do. Um, our dream time is a wonderful vehicle to get us to amazing destinations. And those amazing destinations we really like to showcase in well, with all of our um, media, social media and the YouTube. And also, Alan, anyone that's sort of thinking about whether they, you know, could transition to this style of life, uh, we did produce a book uh, from our our decision to make the lifestyle change and our trip through um, Southeast Asia as crew. And um, it alludes back to the board meeting we had. The title of it is Stuff It, Let's Go Sailing Anyway. And... Um, and uh, that's available through our um, through our social media, etc. Um, and it, it tells the story of us being in Ipswich, making the transition, selling up, and and hitting the high seas and uh, and enjoying ourselves. Well, Robin Karen Oberg, I really appreciate your time today. You've been very generous, and uh, we've recorded this uh, interview via Zoom. So I've had the uh, I've had the exclusive rights to see the pictures as we've recorded. And it just looks idyllic there on the on the Burnett River in Bundaberg. So thank you very much for chatting with Ipswich today. Thank you, Alan. Thanks, Alan. Ipswich Today is supported by Kinetics, people-powered web hosting trusted by Australian businesses since 1999. This podcast is also listener-supported. Please make a once-only gift or regular donation to help keep it online. Just go to ipswichtoday.com.au and click the donate button at the bottom of the page. You can subscribe for free and share this podcast from your favourite app, including iHeartRadio, or play Ipswich Today from your smart speaker. Music is supplied by Purple Planet Music. This is Alan Roebuck. Thanks for listening. Enjoying Ipswich today? Please share the love on your socials.